Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening to you, however you may be listening and wherever you may be listening. This is the Man on the Post podcast. We're back. We are back in the podcast groove. It's, you know, it's only been two weeks, or it seems like that, since the World Cup ended. But we are back. We're here to talk about everything that is going on in the world of football. And we're going to take a sort of slightly unique twist to this. Um, the Sunday review show will be taking care of, you know, breaking down match results, who scored, who gave the assist, was it a penalty, so on and so forth. What we're going to do is we're going to take you to the stories that go behind the match results. So, you know, for uh, match A, you know, was it a goal, was it not a goal? We'll be talking about should VAR be brought in. Uh, when a manager, uh, if someone's going on a bad running result, we'll then talk about should a manager be sat. But there'll also be chances for you to do uh, greater debates and topics. And for this, we're throwing it out to you, the people. As Bain once said, I can see Marcus Smiley right now, that reference. If there are any topics on any footballing subjects you want to debate, with the exception of footballing impact on Brexit or Brexit impact on football. That's too complicated for us, and I think we might kill each other. But if there's anything else, you let us know, and no um, no reasonable topic will be you know, will be denied. We will talk about it, because that's what we want to do. But enough about me rambling on. It's time for the others to ramble on, and let's start by introducing the panel. We have our very special guest coming off the substitute's bench, because there's a very there's a topic that's happened this summer that's very close to his heart, and we want to hear his views on it. It's our relevant uh, re- resident Newcastle fan, semi-resident, seeing as he's not fully fully member. Marcus Shearer, Marcus, a good evening to you. Hello, nice to be on. Yeah, Sean Sweet, I like it. Yeah, coming to us all the way from the Netherlands, it's our resident Dutch correspondent. It is one the one and only James Rowe. James, a good evening to you. Good evening, all, and thanks for a lovely introduction. Good and it's and always it's our pleasure to introduce everyone's favourite dour pissed off Yorkshireman. It's Colin. A Colin. A good evening to you as well. Who's that? Sorry. All oh, right. Okay. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. Our favourite pissed off Yorkshireman and Chris Waddle look alike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 great to be back, guys. I'm really looking forward to this season. And and yeah. Um. I just want to reiterate what you just said, Matt. You know, I think this is the podcast for the juicy stuff. Um. This is where the the real hot topics get discussed. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a new season. We'll, we'll try and do one every week, but God knows there could be some quiet weeks where we'll just have to come up with, you know, just come up with random stuff. But we'll kick on and we'll kick on with Colin's favourite club and our boss Ross's favourite club as well, Leeds United. Now, there's a reason for this, and I can't remember who it was, but on the uh, very exclusive uh, Man on the Post WhatsApp group, someone was talking about uh, Marcelo Bielsa and his fantastic start at Leeds. And it got me thinking, I just had this theory in the back of my mind that I thought would make a good discussion for the podcast is why we're bringing it up, is what makes a big club? Because in my mind, Marcelo Bielsa, given the same squad of players 
and the same backing in terms of money and everything, would not have taken the job if he was offered the same position at Ipswich, say, or someone else who's run a run-of-the-mill championship club. I've lost track of the championship club because it doesn't bother me anymore. It's harsh on Ipswich. It's harsh. European Cup it is harsh on Ipswich. But just I think you're talking about what, Barnsley Reading, or... Reading. Any, yeah. any of that lot in the championship. There was so, I reckon he took it because it was Leeds. And Leeds are a big name and are a big club. And he thinks he can resurrect them to a sense. Similar to what Benitez is trying to do with Newcastle but on a grander scale. So it just got me thinking, what makes a big club a big club? You know... It can be anything you want it to be. It, it, you can lay the importance on the trophy cabinet. It can be the history. It can be the size of the stadium. It, anything you want. So, Colin, I, I'm fascinated because this is the Leeds subject of it. What do you think, A, makes Leeds a big club? And then what makes a big club a big club? Um, ooh, crikey, going straight into it with Leeds. Um, I do believe Leeds are a big club. Um as for the Bielsa thing, I, you know, you mentioned Ipswich there. I, I don't think, I mean, he could have walked into any Premier League job, I believe, if he wanted to. He could to. have, but there was a reason. There's got to be a reason he chose Leeds. There's got to be a reason. Well, first of all, I think he was asked. Um, I think a lot of people just assumed that, you know, the, the, you know, he's not interested in managing an English football team. Um, he doesn't speak English. He's never managed in England before, um, and also his, you know, his previous employment at Lille that didn't end too well. Um, so maybe there's a few people out there who thought it was a bit of a, a scratch record. You know, it was maybe the end of him. I mean, he's he's no spring chicken. He's 61. Um, but yeah, I I think there was something that appealed to him about. Leads and just hey, ek, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Leads are not everyone's favourite cup of tea. Um, they won't win any any popularity contests, but whether you love them or loathe them, you know who Leads are. Um, and so maybe it was just a little bit of of that maybe that he just sort of found some sort of connection with perhaps. Okay, but again, what's the what's the and again this sort of leads on to you know Leeds are a big club, but what makes a big club you know because Leeds they're still big but they're still in the Championship there so there's still that bit of a draw there's still a bit of a draw to them but just but on a general on a more general scale what do you think constitutes a big club because we all know who we all know who the big clubs are there's no disputing Man United Liverpool Chelsea Arsenal there's no disputing them but it's those Teams like like Everton, who are sort of on the cusp of Villa, oh. there's a debate on whether they're a big yeah. club. Whereas there's the established ones that we already know. But what what do you think puts teams like you know Everton and Aston Villa, who are in the discussion, what need what do they need to push them over the top? And you know what is a big club basically? Well, I think first of all, you you, you may be blowing a little bit of smoke up uh, Leeds United's backside there. Um, I I am not. You know, gonna say, hey, Leeds are a big club. You know, I mean, I think they are. Obviously, I'm biased, but um, at the end of the day, teams like Brighton, Bournemouth, have done far better jobs in the last 10, 15 years than Leeds have. Um, 
So, you know, do, do you deserve to be a big club just because of something that happened, what, 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago? I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but on that, I mean, for, from my point of view, specifically from Leeds, I live down south. And everywhere I go, um, and, and maybe Sky Sports help helps us out with this one, they, they always show the Leeds games. And, and we know why, because they've got the championship and, and Leeds fans watch the games and so they get more money for advertising, all that sort of good jazz. But down south, there are a remarkable amount of Leeds United fans. And I can't quite get my head around it. Um, it's, it's the biggest supported northern club down south. And I think that uh, lot... Manchester United might have a <laughs> might have a word to say yeah, about that. Well, not, about not in Essex. Not in Arsenal, West Ham, Chelsea, Spurs. Yeah, they 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 rule the roost, right? Not a problem with that. And then you've got like a Charlton fan, an Orient fan, great everything like that. And then from from out of nowhere, like. We're all crawling out of little, under little stones somewhere. These Leeds fans appear. So I'm in a pub. I'm watching Leeds, and all of a sudden Leeds score, and and probably inevitably get beat. But th- they score, and I go way, and and there's another bloke standing up going way, and it's like, well, crikey, what what are you doing supporting Leeds? Um, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. Um, I I feel. A little bit wrong in in talking about Leeds as a big club because I'm obviously going to be biased. So I I think it should be you guys who are maybe you know not sitting on the fence, but you're you're probably in a better position to dictate what's a big club, what's not a big club, da da da. da you know. Yeah, it's it's a point that you brought up. It's a point you brought up. You know, should you be a big club based on what you did 10, 20, 20 40 years ago? And that's something that, you know, that's basically what Leeds are are building themselves. You know, as a fan base from an outsider's point of view, is what they are building themselves on, is you know the glory days under Bremner and oh crikey, who was the manager? Don I've seen Danny. I've seen Dam United enough times. I should know this, <laughs> but but building on that and you know just fame and you know store, uh, the last team to win the first division as it was was Leeds United before it became the Premier League. So again, the reason I see Leeds as a big club is because of their history and growing up, Leeds were always an ever present in the Premier League and had those stints to the Champions League in UEFA. Semi-final. Yeah, yeah, consecutive semi-finals. However, do the maths. They've now been out of the top flight. Mm. 15 years? For more than half my life. Yeah. So the reason so the reason I see Leeds as a, you know, a a big club, a sleeping giant, as you were, is because they have the history behind them, but they're just not backing it up at the moment. James, where do you stand on this? I mean, you, you support a big club. No one's disputing the sense of the sense of Arsenal, and again, but it does come down to uh, what what Colin was saying earlier. Uh, should you be famous based on what you did uh, 10, 20 years ago? Obviously, Arsenal had that famous nine-year stretch without a trophy. Nine-year stretch, yeah, very, uh, stretch. very balanced. Nine, two, yeah. 
kind of thought. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, United, yes, stretched out the trophy, but kept being a big club because they were constantly, constantly in the Champions League. Um, so they had that, you know, constant uh, top four slash five slash six finishes in the Premier League. So you don't have this issue with your club, but what do you think makes a big club a big club? Is it purely your history? Is it how well you're doing at the moment, or is it a combination of the of the two? I think it's uh, a combination of trophies, history and fan base. Uh, not just to to, um, to confine this to uh, British and English football, but if you cast an eye on European football in general, uh, who's the biggest club in France? Who's the biggest club in Germany? Who's the biggest club in the Netherlands? You know, history is a, is a massive thing. And when, when teams win, especially European trophies, and, and, and domestic league titles and cups as well, when they keep winning and when they keep being relevant, you know, it's, it's a very important part. You can't erase history. And and I think Bielsa, in the case of Leeds United, was attracted to Leeds because of the name. I think if uh, Barnsley would have offered him a job or Rotherham would have offered him a job, with all due respect, I think he would have turned them down. But um, I think it's I think it's a combination of different things. I think the lines get blurred when you have recent clubs such as Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City with the investment uh, winning recent league titles and and proclaiming that they are very big clubs. In the yep. case of Paris, in the case of Paris Saint-Germain, Paris Saint-Germain was formed in 1970. Now that's not that long ago when you think about it, in comparison to teams that were formed in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, here in Amsterdam, for example, I went to the cinema uh, a couple of weeks ago and I'm standing in a row, I'm standing in a queue to get my ticket and sit, standing in front of me is a guy uh, wearing a Manchester City top and I'm standing in Amsterdam. And I, t- I think with the lines get a little bit blurred now, with uh, especially for commercialism of football, but I think history... It's, it's the most important part. If a club has a rich history, uh, however long ago it was that they last won trophies, if they have a trophy cabinet that, that represents them in terms of league titles, European trophies, or even domestic cups, it can be very important. And also a, a, a big fan base as well. And where state, I mean, you look at uh, Dortmund, for example, in their um, in their home games, very rarely is there a ticket left over. It's always uh, packed to the rafters. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely excellent point. And I do sort of want to touch on Manchester City because yes, their main success has come there, but let's let's not forget Manchester City weren't nobodies back in back in the day, back in you know the 60s, 70s. They were a no a, a reasonable team. They weren't you know like the yeah, quid- but they had gone forty odd years without winning the league as well. Yeah, that's so where. Where did the history come? Hang in? on, Chelsea went fifty years without winning the league. They, they but did. they, but they. But, still, they won, but they still did stuff. Yeah, they won domestic cups in between that as well yeah. and were competing in European football. You look at a club like Manchester City, their record goal scorer is Sergio Aguero. So mm. they are currently building their history. What we need to be careful with here is um, constituting the difference between big club and a successful club. Now, Leicester, Cis, Leicester City are Premier League winners. No one can dispute that. So technically, they're a successful club. It doesn't make them a big club yet. The only way you get to a stage where you become a big club is when you start to combine, as James rightly pointed out, trophies, history, and fan base. Okay, um, quite similar to what James was saying just now about being in Netherlands, seeing a Manchester City shirt. That doesn't happen ten years ago. Doesn't happen ten. Well, I've seen it in these areas as well, where I work. Yeah. I see young kids walking around in Manchester City tops with De Bruyne on the back. It's it's following the current trend. 
for us, about 15, 20 years ago, we would have grown up and seen Manchester United tops everywhere. Yeah. With Beckham on the back. Yeah. Or Van Nistelrooy, because that was the trends to follow. Before that, you probably would have seen kids running around in Liverpool, Liverpool tops shows. with yeah. Rush on the back. It's following, um, it's just following the trend of success at that point, because that's what kids appeals to. They're appeals to success or appeal to winning in regards to are we pulling back to are we pulling this back to Leeds or just talking about big clubs in general just yeah just talk about what makes a big club a big club but if you want if you want to mention Leeds I'm sure Colin will yes. be very happy <laughs> no, well so for me a big club I think the majority of it uh, comes from historically being consistent in top divisions relatively okay. consistent uh, building and culminating a, a larger fan base on top of that and then again uh, trophies then are probably the final part of making that quote-unquote big club because we do have a lot of big clubs out there that haven't won domestically anything for a long time, whether it is Ipswich, whether it's Aston Villa, whether it's Leeds, whether it's Newcastle, whether it's Spurs, there's a good example, whether it's Wolves, whoever it might be, it doesn't mean that they're not big clubs because they have large followings um, both in this country and overseas. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example now. Like, I'm going to be slightly biased. So I'm not trying to so we are or aren't a big club, but Sky are broadcasting, or Sky and BT together are broadcasting every Newcastle match between now and the middle of September. I think partly of I think part of that is purely because so that they can discuss the latest with Mike Ashley, and they can they, basically they want to be to the televise one, them every week. They though. want to be the ones that commentate on is that Rafa Benitez's last game. I think is basically I think is what. Possibly, but to televise every individual one throughout. So we had Spurs last week, Cardiff this week, you got Chelsea next week, uh, Man City. I mean, Arsenal part of that, part that, could, part that could also be your opponent. I it, mean, Ch- yeah. Chelsea, Man City are part of that, that yeah, part as well. It, and usually they are televised generally, but for them to all be televised in a row with X amount of other Premier Club, Premier League clubs all missing out on Super Sunday weekends, I don't know. There's there's something. I think it's an odd one. I think you've hit on something there, Marcus. I I think, um, in terms, I, I think what I'd probably call it is branding, building a brand, um, and I, I don't mean it in a sort of commercial way, but um, there's you, no smoke without fire. No, Newcastle. You know, sometimes bad news is good news, right? Nobody wants to hear about Eddie Howe saving a cat in a tree, right? They want to hear about the madness, right? The the madness of Mike Ashley, right? That's why they're there, and because there's fifty thousand lunatics who keep turning up there, paying <laughs> paying top dollar to watch it, right? And and but that's because that football club has created a brand, a brand that can be sent worldwide, and. I think that's a part of what makes a big club. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry to go back to Leeds, but Leeds were the first ones to have sponsorship on the shirts with Admiral. They cost an absolute fortune. In those days, people just had numbers on their shirts. Leeds turned up, you know, cocky bastards with their uh, white tracksuit tops on, um, with their names on the back. You know, Norman Hunter, Paul Reaney, whatever. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, who are these pretentious assholes? You know what I mean? It's sort of like Cristiano Ronaldo-esque, right? But that sort of made a brand and that sort of like stuck with people. Whether it was liked or disliked, 
I think it's better to be known than be really nice and not known. And I think that helps build your brand up. Yeah, one other point that I saw want to I want to touch on because I'm going to bring James uh, on the James in on this specifically is when we talk about a big club, do we do they do you just have to be big within your own country, or do you have to be big globally as well? Because I'll come to you, James. Like if we're if we're talking about if we're talking about success is is part of it. It may not be the biggest part, but it is a part of it. The way that you know Ajax were a big team. X amount of years ago, it fluctuates depending on how, you know, depending on when you want to think about it. But Ajax were a big club. But seeing as they haven't done anything, with all due respect, and are, you know, are at a stage where they have to go through the qualifying rounds to the Champions League, rather than automatic. If, rather, rather than if you're putting an automatic bid together to say, right, the big teams of European football, Ajax would be in the discussion, surely. But does that make them a big club globally, or do you have to just be big within your own country james i'll bring you one out i think globally does help and if i can just touch a point on what colin just said about being known i wonder specifically if people wearing the paris saint-germain shirts and man city shirts and barcelona shirts and real madrid shirts i wonder if they know how that club came to be no i wonder if they, i wonder if they know the history of that club i would wager that they don't yeah um, and that's also an important part because, you know, obviously football fans are, are all completely different. Some are more clued up than others and some understand more than others and, you know, have more interest than others. But if you're going to wear shirts specifically of foreign countries, uh, of foreign clubs in another country, you've really got to know an awful lot about it. You can't, but I suppose in case in the case of like fashion statements that people think, you know, it's as Marcus touched on earlier, you know, in the late 80s with Liverpool shirts and with Manchester United shirts and everything. I suppose it's just a, it's just a sign of the times, really. But I think um, I think w- with the commercialism, especially with the Champions League as well, you know, with all the games being shown and all the build up and all the 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 the. the um, the the attention it brings you know it's as if every group game is 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 bloated up to be uh to be as, as important as the final but i think i think now with the how accessible european football has become i think it's now a combination of not just uh, domestic success but european success as well marcus is waving his hands because he hasn't he says he has an excellent point yeah, to bring an up. excellent point on what james just said me and matt we actually went to america uh april last year and we went into i think it was a nike store and we saw a shop assistant wearing a manchester city top and i think they were playing arsenal that weekend and we said are you looking forward to the uh, game then you know like what do you think the odds are going to be and he said i'm not really sure to be honest with you guys i just liked the color of the shirt and it was cheap so i thought i'd wear it so it's still so they're still, you know, passing on that brand. Their brand is still spreading for Manchester City globally. It helps that they've got, you know, New York City FC. Uh, yeah, as, as, a, as an inroad to in yeah. yeah, but that's the idea that, you know, a lot of people across these, whether it is PSG, whether it is Manchester City, whether it is even Juventus, I know a lot of these replica kits are now becoming fashion statements over uh, actually like enjoying the, you know, football side of it. Exactly. There, there will be a bunch of, there will be a bunch of people who are, who are ardent Cristiano Ronaldo fans by you know, flooding their room with Juventus jerseys now. Yeah. But yet they won't support Juventus. No. But would that would that have happened if Ronaldo went to you know back to Sporting Lisbon? To an ex- 
possibly not not to the same extent not as much but possibly yeah like but that does that mean that juventus aren't a big club no because of the reason they can pull in someone like Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. is because of the appeal they have as a brand in Italy. And to be honest with you, I think half of it might even be off this um, Netflix series that they've been doing. They've done a couple of seasons of following the Juventus football team uh, to Champions League finals and through their campaigns. It's been quite interesting. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if half the funding for that Ronaldo fee came off the back of that. Okay, I can hear, I can hear Colin making noise in the yeah, background. Do you want to jump in? Was I making noises? I didn't mean to. Oh, okay. Maybe it was just a bad. Maybe it was just a bad. Um, no, I, I completely agree, and I think it just goes back to branding. Um, heck, let's let's not beat around the bush. The Premier League, the whole English football setup, even the Championship now, it's 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 about business. It's it's not necessarily about the football that's played. Um, I mean, you know, Manchester got beat today by Brighton. Um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people, you know, throwing their Man U shirts in the bin for um, the one for a Brighton shirt with American Express on it. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that more or less, I think everyone's had that fair share. It's just relevance, isn't it? If you want to be a big club, you have to stay relevant. Stay relevant. Stay yeah. relevant, you know, still be a story. And that's how you build your following. And that's how you become a big club. Perfect. Perfect way to sum up. And we're going to let you keep talking because one of the biggest talks, one of the biggest talking points over the summer and will carry on ad infinitum until something is sorted out has been what's been going on at Newcastle United. The good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. <laughs> There's been a lot of ugly in all this. And now, Mark, yeah, Marcus, you you are a Newcastle fan. I think we've explained that before. I don't know if people know, but you're a Newcastle fan. Yeah. I explained it earlier. But you have some things to say in regards to Mike Ash. No, not in regards to Mike Ash, because as someone said, you will not find a single Newcastle United fan who is in support of Mike Ashley. I, they're, they're, at, this sta- at this stage, there can't be one. No. But you had something you sort of wanted to get off your chest in regards to this whole thing. Well, I'm just getting like, I don't want to keep, you know, sounding like a one up doll and keep repeating myself because I'm getting a bit fed up with the subject generally. But as a Newcastle fan, I've listened to Newcastle United related podcasts and I'd just hear the same line over and over again from all Newcastle fans saying, we must find a way to get Mike Ashley out of this football club. And I've been hearing this for the last four, five, six, seven years without any sort of movement to actually progress that or even to get to a point to, you know, find an appropriate buyer. And I'm just getting fed up with it from the fans. I've seen all these groups set up uh, an open letter to Mike Ashley. Is it the, the, the magpie group? I, I, can't, I don't know. I don't know. But something along the lines of that you're just one man, but we're a whole city. So, well, this one man practically owns your city by owning your football club. So I'm not necessarily saying to get on side with it, but you can't sort of like, I don't know, writing these open letters to him to sort of act sort of begrudgingly and bitter, I don't think it's going to help the situation. It's probably going to add more fuel to the fire. It's, it's finding a progressive, productive way forward uh, for everyone, because ultimately, you know, we're, we're all frustrated and we're all pissed off. And there's a reason we're pissed off. I did some stats over the summer. Now, Marcus Phillips opened his notebook. <laughs> I, I had this chat with you and just like everyone, it's become a bit of a phenomenon now. Newcastle's uh, transfer record 
17 million pounds for Michael Owen back in 2005. Okay. Over this summer, right, in all Premier League transfers, how many transfers do you think went through that either equaled or surpassed that? I'm guessing above 50. 50 transfers. Yeah. Colin, want to guess? Ask the question again. How, how many? How many transfers this summer in the Premier League were over £17 million? In, 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 in the Premier League? In yeah. the Premier League, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd go 18. 18. Okay, James? Um, I'll go 35. Okay, I think James takes it. It's 27. 20, including the likes of Jorginho, Kepa, okay, you know, all the big money transfers, but... Yeah. How many clubs do you think uh, spent over £17 million on a single transfer? So it's going to be a maximum of 19. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, uh, Spurs, didn't, Spurs didn't buy anyone famously. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing 15. 15. Colin? 8. 8. James? 12. 12. Uh, Matt takes it. It's 14. Okay. That includes West Ham, Brighton, Leicester, Wolves, who have just come up, Huddersfield, who have no one. <laughs> Everton, Fulham, who have been in the Premier in the Championship for X amount of years, but have still found the money from somewhere. Four. Southampton, Bournemouth, with their ten thousand seat Garden Shed Stadium, and then of course Liverpool, Man City, and Chelsea. You can forego those last ones, okay? I'm not disputing that. What I am disputing is these owners that are in place that are taking out loans against the TV revenue that is due to come in. That's how Manchester City paid for Riyad Mahrez because they knew that was money in the bank coming forward. They are taking a gamble to progress their club. So when I look at a club like Leeds, um, or I look at a club like um, Stoke in the Championship now, who spent £13 million this summer. I look at Nottingham Forest, who spent £24 million this summer to improve their side. Uh, Leeds, I think they're minus four. I think they spent over £4 million, which is a decent turnover. But it's a fact that they're spending money as opposed to saving it. Newcastle have just made £22 million this summer in transfer profits. This was a, this was on the back of didn't they make fifty million last year? They the made, year they went down, they made. The 50. year they went down, they made thirty million off the back of selling Sissoko. Yeah. Okay. So he's, so Rafa Benitez is bringing in players whilst making money, but I don't know how he expects to progress the club. So he's yeah. being held by by Mike Ashley. So when we get into this debate of are Newcastle a big club? Are they not a big club? So they can be, but they're being shackled down by an owner that simply doesn't want to invest yeah. and that's the frustrating part about following a football club like that it's it's that um hard hard place and rock and hard place scenario like i can carry on going and just trying to enjoy it for what it is is just a piece of entertainment but at the same time i'm then advocating this club that doesn't willingly want to progress or as an owner that does doesn't look any further than generating enough money to buy out a piss part of a uh high street shop which is probably going to go under in a few years anyway but but part of your thing was you were the, the main reason i brought you on was because you i wouldn't say a bit of a, but you're not exactly 100 percent on board with the way fans are going about voicing their displeasure what it's worth the latest protests have been okay but when down the years they've had things like holding a, a casket funeral coffin thing for when st james's park was rebranded as something else and just generally like it's it's a lot of it is the pissing, moaning, and whining on social media, which I've I've got out of now because I'm so fed up of as soon as a um a team sheet comes out, everyone just moans. Oh, why is Joss Lou starting his shit? Why did he sign? Well, he's given it his best. 
you know, and I'm not specifically singling out just but just general moaning from fans and just maybe this is all football fans, but it's like that instant emotional reaction to anything going good, bad or indifferent. Yesterday, um, I'm pretty sure some fans came out and said Kennedy, uh, that was the worst performance he's ever seen from a, a player in black and white ever. I was like, hang about. Had a bad game. He's had a penalty saved. Shit is as shit does some days. You know, 10 men away, you take a draw, whatever. Okay. If not for that penalty, it would have been a decent result. But it's just this overly emotional reactions that we get from fans that I'm just getting really annoyed. Annoyed and frustrated yeah. by it. And I don't know if it's because they have more of an affiliation, more of a care to the club than I do. I try and take a step back from it and enjoy it on the Saturday and leave it by the Sunday and enjoy the rest of my week. I don't know if that's the right or wrong uh, way to in- enjoy football. I, I'm i just trying to sort of enjoy it the best way, the most progressive way as I can with the situation and the regime in place. Because it will change one day. We know it will. But all to. this, but all this moaning on social media isn't going to do anything. So no, this, it just causes no. more hostility. It causes more angst from between fans. It creates more of a divide anyway. Which you know, a club that's meant to be allegedly united, you know, yeah. it's 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 not doing even. You know, go to the match. Don't go to the match. Buy a shirt. Don't buy a shirt. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. No one's going to judge you either way. Just enjoy it for what it is. It's just a piece of entertainment and escapism from a hard week work. Enjoy your football. Okay, there you go. Someone else go in. Yeah, James, James, you know, Marcus talks about, you know, uh, and you know, the whole point of this was the, the way fans um, uh, interact. Articulate, with, yeah. Articulate their views. Now, Arsenal have famously had their Wenger, the Wenger upgrade for however many years it's gotten bigger. Yeah. Do you think that the fans should have, you know, or, or the way the fans think they have so much power in this thing, you know, we're the customers, we're paying your wages. Is it right for fans to think they have this much say, this entire entitlement? That's a good way. Do you think it's fair for fans to think they have this level of entitlement? Um, first and foremost, I think Marcus makes some great points. And I think uh, to start off talking about the fans, I think in in particular with social media, it's as if every fan has to need and want to be heard Uh, in a a crowd of of millions. It's as if some fans have uh, a hell bent on being heard at all costs with a a cheap comment or an outrageous um, observation and things like that. And I think that can be quite dangerous because it's a, it's a it's a global game now. I, mean, I think I read last weekend that uh, 11 of the 20 Premier League clubs um, make money whether fans are there or not. So it, it's for 11 of the 20, it doesn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things. As regards to owners, uh, Marcos makes a good point that it will all end one day. It reminds me very much of uh, Hicks and Gillette at Liverpool where they were being stripped and being stripped and being stripped and some fans were they couldn't see the wood from the trees and, and now they've on the clock they've invested so heavily, particularly this summer, that things do change eventually. And um and it's just about um riding it out really and uh, and um, and trying to get through it but it it must be uh, it must be difficult i mean for my club uh, Cronky will shortly take over lock stock and barrel and when you've got an owner in charge that can do whatever he wants it can be quite ro- worrying because they can do whatever they want 
and and if you compare it to different countries where in germany you're uh, you're not, not you're not allowed to take over lock stock and barrel of, of the fans uh, a part of the board or a part of discussions here in the netherlands with with owners clubs still have to make sure their books are in order because they if their books are not in order they're threatened with their professional license being revoked and the, and the, and the team can get put back to the amateur football if they don't heed the warning so it just goes to show the approach of different countries and uh, I think the Premier League has a lot to learn in that respect. Now Colin I don't want to bring this to Leeds on every occasion but it is a good segue. Leeds fans have had their issues with the board. Uh, Massimino Cellino am I getting that he's the guy in charge now isn't he? Oh no not anymore. Colin? No no. No, Colin? No, not anymore. Not anymore. Chilino's long gone. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sound problem. Chile, well, whoever. Well, there. But there were issues with. There were issues oh, with. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, do you think that? Well, now he, he's not gone anymore. But do you think that you know, if Leeds fans had acted the way Newcastle fans are acting, um, with in their regard in regards to Mike Ashley, things would have been so th- things would have been solved a lot quicker. Or do you think that you know? Or, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Do you think that the way that no. Newcastle have been going about it is the right way? You know, how did Leeds fans approach? Because they didn't exactly get on on board on well with him. Well, well, forget Cellino, but before Cellino, there was um, GFH and Ken Bates. Bates, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you don't need to tell me about bad owners. Um, can I? This is not going to go down well. Can There's I... a certain way of going about it. It's just for me personally, just to add to it, it's just when I hear fans constantly singing, you fat Cockney bastard, get out of our club. And yeah. I've been hearing that for all, 10 years now. And it's just like, it, it, you know, the song hasn't changed and the regime hasn't changed either. When I see a local MP wanting to present a piece to Parliament about how a man is running a football club and making money... Hmm. It just makes me think, what what do you expect Parliament to say about that? Is it, oh, he's not spending to make the club compete, it, but he's not running it out of business and he's not evading tax. Exactly. I don't know what you expect the government to do about would it. Would you rather they acted like Sunderland? Would you rather that? The, well, that's the other extreme, isn't it? It is. It, you want, you yeah. want some sort of middle ground. But when, yeah, I see, yeah. when I see pieces like that, I just think... What do you expect the government to do? What do you expect them to step in and say, you need to go out and buy a £40 million striker or we're going to fine you? Yeah, let's get NATO involved. Yeah, he's conducting a business. That's the bit that confuses me about what the end goal is for that. Yeah, and Colin, you had a point. Yes, sorry, Colin. There was going to be a controversial one. Can I make a defence for Mike Ashley? Oh, okay then, carry on. You can try. I'll try. (laughs) <laughs> so so hold on. Um this is a Newcastle fan, Marcus, who's yeah. complaining about you know not you per se, but Newcastle fans are talking about the destruction of their great club. Yeah. Okay. Um we've got an Arsenal fan on the call who've got zero points. Um we've got a Fulham fan on the call. They've got zero <laughs> points. You're They're twel- not bottom of the league, though. That's all no, that matters. No, no. We're not bottom. See where this is going. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't finished, I haven't finished yet. You're 12, right? And, Are we? Okay. Yeah, and I'm not even in the same division, right? So <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of people going, mm, okay, 
Why is he moaning? It's 12th in the Premier League. You know yeah. what I mean, right? Okay. I understand that completely. I mean, it's all, again, as I said to you earlier when we were talking about Bielsa, you know, it's August. A lot can happen between now of and then. Course. The next run of fixtures for Newcastle are Chelsea, Manchester City and Arsenal. A lot can change, you know, between now and then. But, you know, anything can, can happen. You know, they could go on to win all three. Miraculously, they could go on to get hammered in all three. We don't know. But I realise, yeah, at this point in time, I appreciate, you know, there's not as much reason to moan because they've made 20 odd million and they're still reasonably comfortable on the table for now. It's it's how much different it could be though with an mm. owner when you're looking at other owners like like Fulham who have just come up and spent 27 million pounds for one of our strikers who have spent 30 odd million pounds from a guy from Nice I believe. Sorry. Sorry even. Um, Is that wise? Well, uh, well, it might. Well, we don't know yet. Well, they, well, at the moment, it doesn't look gamble. like it is. They, they've taken a gamble because they are looking to push yeah. to establish themselves in the Premier League by any means possible, where they are spending the appropriate money for today's market. Whether it's overly inflated, whether you're you know, spending ridiculous amounts is neither here nor there anymore. That's probably about the going rate these days. The fact that it's almost become a parody now that Mike actually is so insistent on not in digging in his heels and not spending and trying to compete with clubs such as those around him, you know, the other promoted sides like Brighton and Huddersfield who do go on to, or Bournemouth that go on to spend 20 odd million pounds on a player. When you look at that, when you've got a stadium, again, I know I come, keep coming back to a number of 50 odd thousand a week, blah, 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 but the revenue they're generating, I think the main thing, what I personally would like to know, I think most fans would like to know, is just where, where is that money going? Is it I'll being reinvested into the club? Is it going in Mike Ashley's pocket? Is it going to the academy? You know, we just want to know what how the books look. I'll tell you. Because it, he is spending cash. I mean, what would you like him to do? Would you like him to spend £100 million on... Is Mitrovic really worth, what was it, £27 million? £27 million, yeah. Yeah, well, he's not, is he? He's, okay. he's not worth that. So, <laughs> but I'm, I'm finished yet. Here's the thing, right? I just think in an age of misspending in football, and I'm pushing my luck here, right? Mike Ashley should potentially be lauded for not doing what some other clubs are doing, which is throwing cash around like it's never existed. And we all know what happens. If it's misspent, the club can go down the toilet, right? You get a Leeds, a Sunderland, a Portsmouth, a Leicester, a Forest. I, I yeah. appreciate that. On the flip side of that, when he does spend money, he gives it to some knobhead like Steve McLaren who pisses it all away and then there's none left for a world-class manager like Rafa Benitez to invest properly. Ah, right. Then Ra- so, so hold, hold on a second. So, so, Rafa, so he's got Rafa Benitez, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Who, who came to him? What an absolute god said. Rafa Benitez contacts you about managing a football club. He contacts him. You talk about him. Bielsa being contacted earlier to manage Leeds. You know, you went out and seeked him. Rafa Benitez came to Newcastle as a project. Do you know how much Rafa Benitez well, is on? How much is he on? Yeah, I'll give you 4.2 million reasons why he's at Newcastle United. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But he's on 4.2 million get, a year. You get what you pay for, don't you? Yeah, and, and he's done well. Yeah. You could have had Steve Bruce, mate, if you wanted to do it on the cheap, but Ashley hasn't. He's actually got a top-class manager. I, I looked at the stats on this, and in 2016, that's the, the best I could get, Rafa was the 13th highest paid manager in Europe. Now, I would be saying to Mike Ashley, bloody well done, mate. That's a bit of a coup. How would you manage to get him? 
because, because Rafa Benitez approached Mike Ashley. Yeah, and he's got 4.2 million out of it. Well done. I'd do it for 4.2 million. But I think million. what Marx is saying, but I think what Marx is saying is, you know, take that 4.2 million. A million, a million, one million won't make a difference, but take some money away from Rafa Benitez himself personally and use that to then go and buy a player. Again, I don't know if it's that easy. I don't know. The, I just want the going rates as appropriate. So if it costs £5 million a year to keep Rafa Benitez as a club, instead of pissing about of going over uh, excessive loan deals with this Kennedy guy, just stop messing around. Just buy him. If you want him, you just buy him. Same with Salaman Rondon. You don't piss about with money. You know, instead of like doing this swap loan deal bonus where we have to lose Dwight Gale to bring in Salaman Rondon, why can this club not be in a position to hold on to Dwight Gale and bring in Rondon? How, how many clubs do you think in the Premier League have managers who are on more than their top players? I think the only one is Newcastle United, right? I think so, yeah. The, the, the average Newcastle player, right? And this is, you're saying it's a bit of a skin flint. The average Newcastle player, and this is including the the ones who are like the kids on the poor, you know, on, on the old benefits, and the YTS, right? And this is the four <laughs> bonuses. They're on 1.7 million a year. Yeah. Right, 1.7 That's 32 grand a week, right? So I don't think Mike Ashley's doing it on the cheap, right? Benitez, on the other hand, is on 4.2. So his it's players are getting 1.7. He's getting 4.2, right? I, I'm not being funny. I mean, and, and I think it's good because I think the money is better spent on Rafa Benitez than another few players like you know, like Fulham have done. Like you know, let's you know throw 100 million at it. Da 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 da. It's brilliant. I will agree that we did we did overspend. We. Some of that, some of the stuff was absolute nonsense. Idea, I will agree with you on that. The idea of that is it's an owner who A has the funds and B wants to because he wants to progress a football club. He's not holding it back, even if he fluffs it. That was a, that was always a debate with Freddie Shepherd. His heart was in the right place, but Christ, did he get it wrong a lot? But it was with the right intention. Like the biggest asset to Newcastle at the moment is Rafa Benitez, and, House and of he's Fraser. got less than the, and he's got a less than a year left on his contract. So come next summer, if it just if it stays like this, then the last three years would have been a waste of time. Can I just make one point, uh, which uh, Colin touched on about Premier League misspending? Go for it. Um, clubs have spent an awful lot of money this summer, uh, not always wisely in terms of recruitment, in terms of bringing the right players in. Um, the fact remains, there's still going to be three clubs going down. And it's just, like in the case of Huddersfield, I think they spent 20 million euros on Congolo from Monaco. Uh, he scored an own goal today. Uh, it's, it's, it's hardly going to recapture his final form at Huddersfield. And they spent 20 million euros on him. I could give many more examples, but the fact remains that clubs can spend whatever they deem fit. The fact remains that three are still going down. And, and you get the impression in some cases that some clubs think just throw money at it, just pick a player from here, there and everywhere. And so long as we finish above the dotted line, all is okay. But surely you can take a step back and, and identify the player you want and the player you need. I mean, you think of the resources that a Premier League club has in terms of scouting. It's so advanced in comparison to other countries, it's untrue. But yet other countries such as France and Spain and possibly Germany are able to find players uh, from lesser-known clubs for a more fairer price to end up being better players and end up being uh, better recruits to make their team better. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen an example of that. Martin Dubravka sitting on the bench for, a, I think, Sparta Prague. Mm-hmm. He came in on loan in January, just been signed up for four million pounds. Now, that's not to say there aren't deals like that out there. There clearly are. They can work. I think it's just finding the appropriate balance between the two. When you get a player like Kennedy, who has got quality, and Chelsea say twenty million pounds, twenty million pounds in this market in today's is as I said, that's that's one fifth of you know one source of revenue. When you think it's it's a hundred million to stay in the league, one fifth of it. Yeah, to uh, to earn you 10, 15 points on the board. Yeah, but, but I, I, I refer you to James's earlier answer. You know, to run a big club, and Newcastle are a big club, you're burning money every single day. And, and I don't mean £5 notes, I mean £50 notes, just to keep the lights on. You know, there's a lot of administrative costs and things like that as well, I think. There are, but I, I see it at other clubs as well, and I just I don't see any reason why Newcastle. Well, I do see the reason why. I see the reason is Mike Ashley doesn't want to invest any more money because he's allegedly looking to sell the club, but he's looking he's been looking to sell this club for however many years. I don't now. think he is. Okay, let's, let's, well, that's the thing. Yeah, allegedly he wants to be he wants to sell this club, but on the flip side of that, what reason does he have to if he's getting? Um, free advertising for his Sports Direct brand globally week to week on the stadiums alone, which mm-hmm. he's not paying a penny towards, um, and generating X amount of views on his websites and and purchases from there, why would you sell that? Why would you walk away from that? Even in the, the alleged rumours that went around last year when he was trying to put in a bid or a deal with Amanda Staveley, to, in all of them, the condition was Rafa Benitez was the same manager as a club. One of the other conditions was that Sports Direct branding would stay on for a further year and a half or season and a half, something like that, to complete it, mm-hmm. to keep his brand going. Because that's what he's most concerned about. It's the same reason why he was going after Rangers a few years ago for when they reached the Champions League. To put in more Sports Direct branding on a greater European domestic scale. Yeah. Well, he dodged a bullet there, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. Uh, Definitely did, but that's that's always been his end game. So when I hear these stories of someone trying to sell a football club, you look at well, you look at Sunderland over the summer. That happened overnight. That's the idea. You know, nothing comes out in the press. You know, nothing, it's just club's been sold, new owner done. Uh, instead of all these dramas, and I'm, now I'm not defending Amanda Stavey for a second because she allegedly interrupted Mike Ashley when he was with his wife out for a dinner in London, or something like that. <laughs> it's not the way to go about business. You don't want to, you know air your dirty laundry but i don't know i just i don't know what to believe anymore i just want uh, ultimately i want a fine balance between reasonably level-headed newcastle fans and a reasonably Mm. level-headed owner who will reasonably invest to reasonably press the club i i I have got so much sympathy with this because i i i float from your side to the other side to your side to the other side because i've been through it with leads right yeah with ken bates especially right forget the other minnows right my point is that at the end of the day mike ash is a businessman um as much as football owners are pretty unsavory let's think of like golden sullivan let's think of the man city owners um i think if you're putting a dartboard up of bastard owners i think you won't get many points if you throw your dart at Mike Ashley. Um, he bought the club for 135 million. If someone wants to buy him out, 
happy days. But until that point, unfortunately, a bit like Leeds with Ken Bates, you're stuck with them. Yeah, there's nothing you can do indefinitely. But my point is, there is no better time for him to sell this football club than with Rafa Benitez in charge. That is a huge asset to any owner coming in. And especially if you want to give that manager money to invest into a team, to progress it, to get it, to break into top six or whatever else you want to do. So it's do or die at this point. If he doesn't sell it now, he's not going to sell it for another 10, 15 years or so. Indeed. My, my, my yeah. argument, though, would just beyond that one, would be yeah. only somebody as insane, crazy as Mike Ashley would pay Rafa Benitez £4.2 million a year. If you got like a, a US investment bank who owned Newcastle, they'd be like saying, "What the fuck? This guy's on two and a half more than our best player." It's like, get this fat Spanish waiter out, right? Get Steve Bruce in. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? But so Mike Ashley must have something about him because whatever he's doing, it. I think he's going to keep you up, isn't he? It'll keep us up, but it's what happens after that. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's very... No, 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 it's fine. We'll get to the end of it. You know, it's all fine and well to say it will keep you up, but where do you go from there? Because once you get into a habit of, oh, we'll stay up, that's when you slowly start to take your foot off the gas and slowly start to drop, and that's when you get into a third relegation in 15 years or whatever. It's that's, when you get, that's when you get into Stoke, basically. Yeah, basically. But we must move on because we've had Colin's segment, segment, which was the Leeds big club segment. We've had your segment, which was the Newcastle United shambles. Exactly. We now move segment. on to James's uh, segment. This, this isn't a regular thing. This is just how it's worked out. James, you went on a bit of an excursion this week, didn't you? I did. I went to Tallinn for the UEFA Super Cup final between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. And it was very nice. Tallinn is a nice city for travellers who... Uh, who are thinking of going there? It's uh, full of uh, full of history and a uh, nice place to walk around, and people are friendly. And uh, it was very nice. And uh, I managed to uh, complete the set of attending all three UEFA club finals. And uh, yeah, good uh, good fun. And uh, Atletico were deserved winners. Yeah, just on the subject of talent, take your walking shoes because it's a very hilly city, from what I remember. It's not it's not somewhere it's not like the Netherlands where everything's flat. But what I sort of wanted to bring in was. This was the Super Cup. You know, everyone... <laughs> Colin's just made a comment that I'm not going to... Has made a text comment that I'm not, <laughs> not going to repeat. Can um, I repeat but, it? But no. Anyway, <laughs> but on the, subject, on the subject of Super Cups, I just want to get into how important are Super Cups in the grand scheme of things? You know, the winners of one competition against the winners of one competition. For some reason, this UEFA Super Cup thing is deemed as this great thing. Yeah, for some reason... The charity shield or community shield just gets tossed aside as um <laughs> Colin, I've got to ask you to stop that for the sake of the podcast. You're distracting Marcus. Um why are why are some super fancy tricks? <laughs> you shut up. Why are some super cups and, and these sort of competitions held in such high regard and some and and some aren't? You know, as as I said, the charity shield. Get, just gets thrown aside. Whereas the Italian Super Cup, you know, they wanted to expand the market, so they took it to Beijing for a year. Um, you know, just just on just on the, it does it really matter the winner of the Europa League versus the winner of the Champions League? Is that really such an important thing, James? I'll kick off with you. It's the curtain raiser to the European football season, is what it is. It's the start of the it's the curtain raiser for 
upcoming Champions League and a Euro- in Europa League, and I think it's a, it's a it's a, a it's a match which is appropriate, which can't necessarily be tossed aside. But when you uh, have, if you, look, if you look at the the joy of this uh, trophy brought to Atletico Atletico Madrid fans on Wednesday night. It wasn't so long ago before Simeone arrived at Atletico Madrid. They didn't win a sausage. They never won nothing, not even a Spanish Cup. And then since he's arrived, they've made inroads in Europe to reach Champions League finals, win Europa Leagues, and now win a third Super Cup. It means the world to them. There are some teams that play in Europe. uh, And, for example, let's let's take Burnley, for example. Burnley have an upcoming two-legged tie against Olympiacos. They struggled today, losing at home to Watford. I would wager that Burnley will look to go out of the Europa League as soon as possible to save their skin in the Premier League and stay up. Whereas some teams playing in Europe are representing their club and their country and they want to fight tooth and nail to make as much progression in the European tournament and that needs to be applauded. Yeah, but... Just, but when we have things like the International Champions Cup, which is, you know, it's a group, it's a bunch of pre-season friendlies, and that's what the UEFA Super Cup is, and it's what the charity, it's a glorified friendly, is what it is. So when we have all these, you know, there's nothing stopping, you know, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, just, in fact, they, they play each other twice a year in the Liga. So why is it seen some grand occasion? But like... Like, I'll take it, you know, if it was back in the old days where, you know, the Champions League winner and the UEFA Cup winner, you know, the UEFA Cup winner in those days, could have come from anywhere, where it could have been, you know, Nottingham Forest against, you know, someone from, I have no idea who won the UEFA Cup back in those years. I think I think Wolves won a year. Okay, Wolves against CSKA Moscow. In, in those, I know they didn't win in the exact same year, but that, that idea when these teams would never play each other, I can, def, I can see a kind of appeal then. But we're just going to get bored with Real Madrid because they're going to win the Champions League. Real Madrid versus Sevilla a couple of years ago, and Bayern Munich played Chelsea in a. We get we get enough of that. So do we really need? Doesn't that come back round to our debate about successful clubs and big clubs again, though, about spending the most and being the most successful? Yeah, but what does a Super Cup mean in the grand scheme of things? It's it's the curtain raiser to the upcoming Europa League. How is? That's what, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. And if you look at the semi, if you look at the semi-final lineup of the Europa League last year, you had Arsenal against Atletico, and you had um, Marseille against Salzburg, and you ended up with an Atletico Madrid Marseille final. Marseille had a chance in the first five minutes to go one 0 up, and they fluffed it. By the same token, Marseille could have won that game, and you would have ended up with Real Madrid against Marseille. You could have also ended up with Liverpool against Marseille. It's coincidental that you have once again. Two teams from a um, two teams from a, uh, the same nation competing, but when UEFA also changed the rules where where you previously had ten uh, clubs from pre-qualifying gaining entry into the Champions League, that has now been put back to six. So of course, when you have the Champions League being made up of only four specific countries in England, Spain, Germany, and Italy, of course, as time goes on, you are going to get finals that are from two from the same country, perhaps, or games that have been played quite regularly due to the fact you've got four powerful countries with the same teams that are mainly always qualifying. When you have that level of entry, you're always going to run the risk of having games that are being played by two teams from the same country. If they want to do something different about it, they should make it a, 
just they should have they should have some fun with it. You know, maybe instead instead of a ninety a ninety minute game, I've no idea if it goes to extra it'll go to extra time, doesn't it? Yeah, extra time. Why, why not make it? Why not? Just for a laugh, if we want to make it something different, make it a five make it a five aside game. If you want, it's if it's just a curtain racer. If it you know, it doesn't mean anything. And you the way for Supercar, have a five aside FIFA Street rules, no referee. How are you going to sell out a fifty thousand seater stadium for a five aside game? Hang on, you're t- so in a small compact square, you wouldn't want to. Do- if, why don't I have that? Let's have Sergio Ramos versus Diego Costa in a fight. Okay, so I guarantee you, that you, 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 you almost had that. You almost had that last Wednesday with the uh, challenge that we're going in. Yeah, Pepe and, and, uh, Pepe and Diego Costa. UFC um, shirts off, everyone in their pants fighting it out. Would be the worst fight ever because they're not trained cage fighters. Let them. But that's stick the point. To, let them stick to football. No, the idea of this is just it's pushing on that sort of commercialism for FIFA about UEFA or UEFA about presenting a new trophy and and uh, still uh, again working out the cogs of pre-season again everyone up to match fitness and bringing it. Uh, two teams together because uh, you have pre-season friendlies like this as well. A few years ago, I saw Celtic against Chelsea, which was the champions of England versus the champions of Scotland. That's how it was being, you know, presented in the you know match program, which is fine. It's not. I realise it's not to the same level as Champions League winner against European League winner, but again, it gives more opportunities for fans to travel to a different city to follow their team to watch them win another cup uh, for more broadcasting globally. Yeah. For its teams playing and, and you know more exposure. That's what it's all essentially about. I know it's just a bit fun, but this, this it does seem. I am turning slightly into Colin. I've been around here too long. Without that, Liverpool wouldn't have won their quadruple. When they won the UEFA Cup. What? Two thousand one. Didn't they win the Super Cup as well? I don't know. They did. They beat Bayern Munich. Thank you very much. There you go. So they got a quadruple that year. Okay. But, but you also mustn't forget that this tournament was introduced in the 1970s and it used to be a two-legged affair. Um, for example, when Arsenal played um, their Super Cup and they played at home to AC Milan and went to Milan and lost, you know, it was, um, you know, that, that's a part of history. It used to be a two-legged affair. It went from being a two-legged affair to a new, uh, to an, uh, one match mostly played in Monaco. And recently, they've decided to have that that match being pe- played in different in different cities around Europe. For example, last year you had Skopje in Macedonia. This year, Tallinn. Next year, I believe, is in um, is in Istanbul. And they're trying to, to to mix it up so that lots and lots of people get a get a <clears> chance to see it. And I must say, having attended all three major UEFA Club uh, European finals, they've all got something about them. They're not just uh, token uh, token games, for example. And if you look at the Atletico Madrid fans on Wednesday, the, the pride when they won, they, they went absolutely bananas, and, and rightly so. So this has been the first of our, you know, our debate, uh, debate-only shows, well, of the new season anyway. Um, so again, we, if there are any topics you want to talk about, please let us know on Twitter, at Man on the Post. You can also follow each of us, not Marcus, because he's sacked off Twitter because he's boring. Uh, we're on Twitter as well. I'm at MattRe63. James is? At James Rowanel. And Colin is? Cass707. Indeed. And that brings an end to the first, first edition of the Man of the Post podcast. Uh, 
there's I think I think this is called the Sunday Show, isn't it? Whatever, whatever our boss Ross is decided. I should, but there's so many executive decisions being made above my head that I just lose track. I've got of to climb that corporate ladder. I do. So all there's there for us to say is a goodbye. So goodbye from James. Goodbye, everybody. It's a goodbye from Colin. Goodbye. It's a goodbye from Marcus. Tally-ho. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. And please do always remember to have your man on the post. Mm-hmm.